Have you ever seen people who appear to have it all together, especially in church, and wondered about the real story beneath the facade? Or how about this? What's your story? And what would happen if people knew the real you, the glorious, the wonderful, the messy, the shameful? Listen in as we tackle hard questions of faith and following Jesus. Welcome to She Seems So Normal, Stories Not Shared on Sundays with your host. That's me, Lee McKenzie. Episode 32, Avoid Isolation. It's dark and dangerous. Isolation used to be one of my favorite coping strategies. A shut down, shut out kind of girl. Anytime people got too close, I shut them down, shut them out, and walked away, satisfied that I controlled the terms of my emotional intimacy and relationships. In challenging times at school, work, or church, or with neighbors, friends, or family members, my play often became not calling or returning texts, suddenly dropping out of social events, and in general, disappearing. Ghosting has become a thing now, but friends, I've been doing it forever. Being groomed and programmed for abuse taught me well. When no is ignored, traumatized people have other ways to deal with the pain. And as a child, the there's no going for help, no one is going to rescue me belief of learned powerlessness. Remember that little baby elephant we talked about before? And the secrecy requirements common with abuse killed any hope of changing my interactions with the world. Isolation slowly healed my soul. The enemy knows isolation is one of the most powerful tools he has in his arsenal. And while we're here, don't confuse solitude with isolation. Time alone with God is good. Richard Foster in The Celebration of Discipline and other experts encourage this spiritual discipline of solitude. Throughout the Gospels, praying and seeking His Father's will, Jesus was drawn to wide open wastelands, lonely mountaintops, and hillside gardens. Ahead of vital turning points in His public ministry, Jesus was alone in praying. Through His temptation in the desert, before calling His disciples, and preceding His walk on the waters of Galilee. After a busy day of ministry teaching and healing the sick and possessed in Capernaum, Jesus wandered off again. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 1.35 However, these times of solitude were the exception and not the rule. At the Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus. When he prayed in Gethsemane's garden to confirm God's will, he brought the same three again. Throughout most of his ministry, Jesus walked closely with the disciples. There's a difference between quietly communing with the Father on a hilltop and sharing communion with the enemy in our heads. One spiritually blesses and builds us up. The other spiritually bludgeons and bleeds us dry. Peter wrote this to the Christians undergoing persecution for their faith in Asia Minor, which is now present-day Western Turkey. Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 while that's the third time in that letter Peter warned believers to be alert and self-controlled, it was his first time elaborating on the source of their persecution by providing a very real and understandable word picture. Our choice to remain in solitary, lonely places allows the enemy access to our souls, like a single lion's ambush, which silently surprises, suffocates, 
then kills its prey. Want to know what happened to lions when the judges, kings, prophets, and evangelizers had encountered them in the past? Well, those little lions were either ripped apart with bare hands, killed in pits on the snowy days, or muzzled by the power of God. Isolation makes us forget our resources and our identity, and we forget so easily, don't we? Without the Holy Spirit's power, we become powerless against lion's games if we don't know our identity in Christ or trust God's omnipotent power and infinite goodness. The enemy can trick us into dangerous isolation, eviscerating us slowly, devouring mouthful after toothy mouthful. The evil can twist godly practices of solitude into knots of spiritual isolation using ribbons tied with deceitful half-truths and shame. He almost succeeded with me. So I'm just going to talk extemporaneously here because there's a whole section of the book that I did a lot of research for, um, and I really wished it could have been included, but I was over word count because can you imagine I have lots of words? But here it is. This is research on um, individual lions, and I went online and I was so shocked. The resources were so good about what those solitary lions like to do. So apparently when um, male lions get to the point of age, they're kind of like kicked out by by the whole pride, and they have to go out on their own in order to test establish their own prides. And it's the way of the king, you know, staying on top of his lion pride. And it cuts down all sorts of competition genetically. And so if you're strong enough to survive and make your own pride, the competition, the natural selection does its thing. And so what happens is these solitary lions, because they don't have the lionesses to hunt, what they'll do is they like to wait at night and they will wait in areas by the streams or um, places that their prey will walk through that has like large grass. And what they'll do is they hide behind the grass and as the poor little gazelle goes right in front of them without even knowing there's a lion there, the lion jumps over the grass, goes for the throat, and if it isn't a breaking of the neck, the lion will suffocate the animal. The first part that the lion eats, the heart, and I see a lot of spiritual ties here, don't you? They'll go for the heart, they eat the insides first. So literally, the lion will eat you, or if you're the prey, (laughs) hopefully he's not eating you. But the lion will literally eat you from the inside out when you're all by yourself. Another interesting thing about single lions is that they have found recently single lions will get together and raid larger lion prides. They will come in and kill indiscriminately, and they will carry off prey, other baby lions. They will also carry off some of the lionesses and steal them from lion pride. And so what I find is another really interesting parallel between Peter talking about the enemy is a lion, it's a roaring lion. I think that's so interesting because they are much the same. The enemy likes to come in and steal, destroy, and he's a thief, and he tries to take the place of the real king, doesn't he? Just some food for thought as we're thinking about lions today.